I am in my uh, my neighbor's apartment. This has become my backup recording studio, and my neighbor is a wonderful man I have known my entire life. He has a lot of stuff. He has a lot of stuff. I don't think he would disagree with that statement. And right next to the desk where I've been recording in order to seek some quiet because my apartment is not quiet very often with my little daughter running around. Right next to the spot in his apartment where I sit is a dead cockroach that's been dead on its back for uh, the last few months and has remained unmoved. And I feel like I've been paying homage to this dead cockroach. Like we've been sharing space, him and his death, me still alive. You know, I, I don't think I ever saw him when he was alive, but he did live in my building. I thought about picking him up, but then I, I started to feel like he was some kind of symbol. Not as cute as like a rabbit's foot, but actually kind of less gross. And, uh, you know, people have taxidermied animals that they keep around. Right now, I'm just coexisting with a dead cockroach. And now for something completely different. Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. So I've been getting a lot of questions relating to separation, which I guess could be sort of seen as predictable, seeing that there's been a period of people being home a lot with their dogs and now perhaps a period of us being less at home with our dogs and a lot of people who have gotten dogs in the interim period, this like covid 19 puppy and adoption boom that we seem to have seen. And uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how I think about separation and the various options of how you can deal with it. And, you know, I should say that separation is such a frustrating issue. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you might have heard the episode I did with Malena DiMartini, who is probably the separation anxiety dog training expert out there. I often recommend her book if you are dealing with real separation stuff, or even if you're not and you're, you just want to uh, make sure that you are not setting your dog up for separation anxiety. It is called Treating Separation Anxiety in Dogs. She has an approach where she really talks about how you're creating a contract with your dog when you start dealing with separation anxiety. The thing about separation anxiety is it's very rarely going to be a quick fix, and that can be really hard. Definitely easier to prepare for it and to try and keep your dog from experiencing separation anxiety than letting separation anxiety become a thing and then having to let your dog experience the anxiety and then try and get rid of the behaviors 
that those emotions lead to when you can first ideally teach your dog to feel fine being alone and to never get to a high stress state. But when I was trying to explain this to some of my clients this week, I I felt I was disappointing them because they wanted me to offer some kind of quick fix. I feel like they wanted me to say, here's this product that you can buy and it'll make everything better. And sure, there are products that you can try to use, but you know, like slapping a thunder shirt on your stressed out dog is probably just going to yield you a stressed out dog wearing a thunder shirt. It's not necessarily going to be magic. I think about separation as something that we need to train using shaping. It's a shaping process. Every behavior is being shaped in some way all the time, whether that's by the environment or whether that's by the choices a trainer is making to reinforce certain criteria versus reinforcing other criteria. And the shaping process, I feel, always starts at zero, ideally, right? We're always starting, especially when when we're dealing with fear, emotions, anything super basic like that. We want to start at, like, that criteria zero. And in any new environment, in any new place, whenever you're adding some kind of criteria, that criteria could be being in a new place, you can start by just reinforcing the behavior of existing. It doesn't have to be a sit or a down. It's that idea of criteria zero is the best place to start. Does my dog exist in this room right now? Good. I'm going to reinforce the behavior of just being here. And I want to be reinforcing that behavior in a moment where it's not attached to feelings of stress and fear and anxiety. It's about classically conditioning a dog to feel good before working at having to counter condition, having to to change uh, an emotion. I talk about this in puppy class. I don't care if you get through six weeks of coming to class and all your puppy can do is be in that room without being stressed out. That to me is an A-plus dog with an A-plus human. If your dog learns to sit and lie down and walk nicely and do all the other things we work on in puppy kindergarten, great. But my main concern is that we're shaping the behavior of existing with all these new people around and with maybe you moving around and all the new sights and smells of being in a room with lots of new people and new puppies and plus the experience of having to get there, which can be its own huge thing. We want dogs who can feel good about all of that. And then we can start saying, okay, well now we're only going to reward if you're sitting in this new environment, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing in your home where it's probably easier. You know, first you're going to be rewarding your dog simply for existing in your home, and then you can start rewarding your dog for existing in a uh, situation where your back is turned 
where your back is turned for a long time, where you're going in and out of the room, where you're going in and out of the front door, right? So it's like you can constantly be uh, shaping the behavior towards a point of success, towards your dog feeling, does my dog feel good about being in the room with me? Yes, okay. Does my dog feel good about being in the room when my back is turned? Can she do it if my back is turned for a long period of time? What if I just remove my intention for a while? Can she survive without freaking out? You know, what's the next step? Can I, can I walk into the bathroom? Can I walk into the bathroom and close the door? Can I go out of sight for 30 seconds? There's a whittling towards perfection, which, of course, you know, you're the one who's going to choose what perfection is, but perfection might be you being able to leave for four hours without your dog eating your couch. But, you know, that might not happen for a long time, depending on your dog and your situation. Uh, And part of this contract idea that Milena talks about is, I like that she calls it a contract, but I, I don't even think of it in terms of a contract as much as like, you need to not let your dog be alone if your dog can't handle being alone. Um, That's basically what she's saying with a contract is like, you need to make a contract with your dog that you're not gonna leave your dog alone. But you know, I don't leave my daughter alone, right? Like, I don't think of it as like a contract that I've made with her. (laughs) Could I leave her alone in like a padded room and would she be okay? That's kind of how I think about it when people leave, especially like puppies alone before they can really handle it. I think of it as kind of like if you left your, you know, toddler alone in a padded room, they would probably cry. They would freak out. They would be unhappy. Would they survive? Yeah, probably. Is your puppy going to survive, you know, suddenly going from being in a litter with his mom all the time to being with you 100% of the time to being, you know, locked in a crate for six hours at a time with nobody around? Like, yeah, your puppy's probably going to survive. But ideally, we can do better than that. We're not just aiming for survival. I don't think it's like the ideal way to approach the situation. But of course, it's hard because people lead busy schedules that don't always allow for a dog to have constant company. And there's kind of a a hole in the market for dog babysitters. We think about hiring dog walkers, dog sitters for when you go away, dog trainers, of course, dog groomers. But dog companioning is not something that there's like a paradigm for in our culture. I don't think people think about, you know, needing babysitters for their dogs. But the truth is, I think that the number one way of dealing with separation anxiety is to not let your dog be alone if your dog can't handle being alone. And that might mean finding neighbors who are unemployed right now and paying them or offering some kind of exchange of services. I'll cook you dinner if you hang out with my dog or finding a kid in the building. This does not necessarily mean you even have to walk your dog. I mean, if you have a dog that's not used to going for walks with other people, might not even be a good idea. 
we think about hiring dog walkers, like people to come to our apartment and take our dogs out. But at School for the Dogs, we call it buddying. Hiring a buddy for your dog can often be the answer. And if you have a, a sweet, adorable puppy, for sure, maybe you can find someone who could even volunteer for the job. Certainly, if there's one bit of good news about so many people being unemployed right now, perhaps it's that there are people out there who would gladly be paid to hang out with your puppy in your home or their home. You know, I don't recommend sites like Rover.com and Dog Vacay and stuff so much for people hiring dog walkers because I worry about a dog being walked by some different person that they've never met, someone coming at different people coming different days, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I do suggest using those kinds of sites to see if you can find a buddy. Um, Sometimes people on those sites will take uh, dogs into their homes or they'll come to your homes. Of course, you know, there is a leap of faith of having to trust people in these situations. But, you know, you could also try contacting a trainer if you've worked with a trainer before or a walker if you've worked with a walker before to see if maybe they would come just hang out with your dog while you return to work. Like I said, at School for the Dogs, we call this buddying. And it's really just kind of that (laughs) dog hanging out time. Actually, years ago, I even started a website called nydogshare.com. I don't tend to it very much, but it still exists. The idea for it was that People could go there in New York to find people who work from home or students or whatever who would like to spend time with dogs, kind of like a way to pair those people with people who have dogs who have issues being alone as kind of like a dog cooperative. So... Once you have a dog who is stressed out about being alone and is barking his head off and you're worried about getting kicked out of your building, what are you going to do? Well, you could put like a citronella collar on your dog. You could, uh, which is going to like spray your dog in the face every time they bark. People get shock collars for their dog. Actually, my husband with his ex-wife put a shock collar on their dog who hated being alone to stop the barking. Now he realizes why this wasn't a good idea. But then it just seemed like a no-brainer to him when he wasn't married to a dog trainer. Hated being alone, barked like mad, so they put a shot collar on this like tiny little like papillon or whatever he was. And then he developed the problem of scratching the door and like until his nails bled. And you know, if you're suppressing your dog's expression of the emotion of frustration and distress and all the other things indicated by the barking. Okay, I get that, you know, you have neighbors and uh, you don't want to lose your lease, et cetera, et cetera. But really what you're often doing is just like helping your dog change seats on the Titanic, you know, like, and that frustration is going to come out in some other behavior which is not really changing the emotion that's causing the behavior. That's why I think shape, and same thing, you know, with something like a citronella collar or whatever it is. It's like, if anything, you can be making your dog even more stressed out because your dog's like, God, not only do they leave me, but when they leave me, I get shocked periodically, (laughs) you know? Your dog might not even associate the shock with the barking, or even if they do, they can still feel like, 
getting shocked is a consequence of you leaving, which can stress your dog out even more. One client this week said, well, can't I just let the dog cry it out? And I said, okay, I mean, you can, but it's not my preference. And for a few reasons, you know, it's important also to, to, I think, think about extinction and what that process is like. Behaviors, you know, I, extinction is, is, can be such a complicated thing to think about and to understand. And I'm giving you my, the way I try and understand it is it's like when you go to start your car and your car doesn't turn on, or I've done a couple episodes where I've talked about thinking about operant conditioning and classical conditioning as like two different kinds of vending machines. Classical conditioning is, it's like a Coke machine. One thing equals another thing. You put money in the machine, the soda comes out. And the behavior doesn't really matter. The, you know, if you put the quarter in with your toes or you did it with your nose or... But with operant conditioning, there is some kind of, you know, behavior required. It's more like a claw machine that you're operating. And if you operate it in some specific way, there is going to be a consequence. But there is, there is some requirement for behavior. Extinction is like either one of these machines if it's completely broken. It's what happens when a behavior goes from being reinforced to not being reinforced. Not punished, just no longer reinforced. So you go to it, you put your quarter in, the claw doesn't move, no soda comes out. Eventually, you will probably stop messing with the machine. But of course, there are a few things that will probably happen first. We call it an extinction burst where a dog will just try the thing over and over and over, this behavior that used to work, like the soda machine used to work. Or the way I always think about it also is like when I'm swiping a Metro card, swipe it. If it doesn't work, I'll like swipe it 10 more times. That's kind of an extinction burst. Also, you sometimes see like an animal suddenly like trying new things that they've never tried before, just like totally out of desperation. Like, you know, I'll try bending the Metro card. I'll try, you know, wiping the Metro card on my sleeve. Just like with the soda machine, right? You would try putting the money in and then you'd like start hitting the machine and, you know, banging your hip against the machine. And what also can happen is anger, right? So then, then I go over to the token clerk and start yelling about why you know, I'm late for work and I can't get on the subway because my card won't work and I don't understand why. <laughs> Just like you start might start yelling at the soda machine. So if you have a dog who is barking when you leave, well, barking is a behavior that has tended to get your attention or someone's attention. Now, it's possible the barking might be intermittently reinforced because there's some correlation maybe with hearing something outside that then goes away. That could be reinforcing your dog's barking. Your dog might feel like it went away because of his barking. But there's also the chance that this behavior of barking could just become extinct in that situation because perhaps it is no longer being reinforced at all. That could take a while. But extinction, first of all, it's not like a really fun way to learn something, to have, you know, something that was previously rewarded, encouraged in some way, 
you know, whether it meant it got you onto the subway or, you know, your dog has barked in the past and probably you've played with him or given him some kind of attention or it was rewarding to get the soda out of the soda machine, whatever. Like, it's not something that tends to feel good. It's like getting ghosted, which is why probably it can produce anger (laughs) in any kind of animal. But also, and you know, this is not I believe like applied behavior analysts don't talk about things being self-reinforcing. Like that's not like actually a thing in the science of behavior, but seems to me as a non-scientist as the way that I can understand things. Like some things are going to be self, like the joy is just in doing it, right? Like you might get paid to sing but you also might just sing because you enjoy singing, right? Although I guess I've also seen artists stop doing what they enjoy if they're used to getting paid for it, and then the pay goes away. The actual behavior becomes less fun when it might have been fun had there never monetary rewards at all. But it seems to me that that's really like something that's going to differ in one environment to the next and from one individual to the next. I know for some dogs, barking might just be really fun to do no matter what the consequences. I think that even if you're not there paying attention to your dog or, you know, opening the crate in order to reward your barking dog or whatever, there's still likely some way in which the very act of what your dog is doing is encouraging it in some way. Like they are working out this muscle in some way by just engaging in the behavior and that might also feel good. You know, another thing to think about though with extinction is it can get rid of a behavior, but not like with 100% reliability. And again, I think this might have something to do with Maybe there's something actually inherently rewarding about banging the soda machine. (laughs) You know, that's a behavior in and of itself as well. Maybe the act of turning the car key, maybe there's some degree of just something that's rewarding, even if you know the car is not going to start. But there's also maybe, you know, the fact that it's on, you know, so many things in life are on this like weird schedule of being reinforced that at some point you might just be like, you know, screw it. I'm going to try starting the car again, even though it hasn't started for, uh, you know, a day or a week. Same thing with the soda machine and same thing with the dog. Like you might get rid of the behavior of barking for a little while and then it could rear its head again. So the barking it out method is not that reliable. And for that reason, I don't think it's particularly humane. I mean, I guess I think it probably it's more humane than putting a shock collar on your dog when they bark. And also your neighbors probably are not going to appreciate it. So if you are absolutely unable to get someone to sit with your dog while you go to work and you can't bring your dog anywhere to someone else, you know, I'm not, not a huge fan of dog daycares, but in some cases I think it's a better alternative than a dog being home alone. If there is nothing that you can do to prevent the situation of your dog being alone, try and build up to it as much as you can by helping your dog, shaping your dog to be alone, but also just like trying to create as many good associations as possible with you leaving. And I talked about this in the episode with Milena Martini, and she was kind of like, well, Yes and no. I mean, like, you could cry your way through a pint of ice cream. It might not make your dog feel better to be left alone just because he has something to eat. 
I think of it more as like building up to that point or rather figuring out how to make sure that point never comes. And one way you can make sure that that time never comes, that you have a dog who really has full-blown separation anxiety is from early on, from early days, get them used to feeling okay about you leaving. And that is the shaping process that I was talking about. And think about how you can keep making your dog have good feelings. How can you create good associations with you not being there on top of your dog 100% of the time? You know, talking about this idea of crying it out, I have to say, like, if you really have to leave your dog, then, you know, at least try and make some kind of good association for your dog. Although like Milena says, your, your dog might be able to cry through a pint of ice cream. But if you're going to have to leave your dog, toss a whole bunch of treats <laughs> behind you when you close the door and hope for the best and try in the future to do what you can to make sure your dog doesn't have to get to that point. Because, you know, and maybe it'll be totally fine because every dog is different. Every environment is different. Your dog might also recover from going through the cry it out method with no issue. Another dog, it could be a hugely psychologically damning thing. Like with people, dogs each have their own ability to handle frustration and their own learning histories. And so one dog might bark a lot realize it's not going to help the situation and then stop barking and never bark again and be just like a happy (laughs) guy no matter what. Whereas for another dog, it could be such a stressful thing that they are never wholly able to recover without a lot of remedial work. I mean, don't we all know people like this? Some people who, you know, everything is water off a duck's back. Like any crazy thing that happens, they're just like, yeah, whatever. And other people who seem like they will never recover from something that seems ridiculously trivial to you. You know, at least give your dog like a huge handful of something delicious before you leave. And if you can't get someone to stay with your dog, at least see if the neighbor maybe can come over once an hour and like... I don't know, like throw some hamburger meat or (laughs) something really good on the ground for your dog. Or, or, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of the treat and train. Probably the best time to introduce a treat and train, which is like a remote control treat dispenser. Probably best time is not the first time that you're going to be leaving your dog, but it's something that you can use to reward your dog from a distance. Something you can even have a a neighbor use to reward your dog. You fill it up with treats or even your dog's dry food or whatever. But again, we're trying to like create really good associations with you being gone. So I would like put the good stuff in it and trigger it uh, from the other room, trigger it from your neighbors. Again, it's something, it makes a noise. It makes a kind of grinding sound. Probably a good idea to not have the first time your dog be introduced to it be the, also the first time you're leaving a dog alone. But I think it's a nice way to start introducing the idea of separation. And I think of it as like a way to like also outsource some of your dog's caretaking to the robot world in a way that that uh, it always makes me think so think of like like Rosie the robot and the Jetsons. So that you know your dog of course has, you know, lots of good feelings about you, partially because you're the one providing your dog most of his meals, but he can also be like, okay, the human's gone, but the robot's still here. The robot, the robot will still take care of 
me. Hope that these are some helpful thoughts on dealing with what I know can be a difficult situation for dogs and people, but the good news is more people have dogs in their lives now, I think, because it's been a a nice side effect of a crapola situation we're in, which is, I think, more people have welcomed dogs into their homes recently and more dogs have found what I hope are good homes. I also did want to mention that we are finishing up this mosaic that we're doing at School for the Dogs. There are only limited places left. If you are interested in having your dog be in one of the tiles that is going up in this beautiful mosaic we're doing as we reopen the studio, Jim Power. He's called the Mosaic Man. He's done all the gorgeous mosaics on lampposts throughout the East Village for, like, I mean, since I was a kid, I don't know, decades and decades now. He is building this work of art really for us. It's gorgeous. And if you give a $100 donation or more to the Schools for the Dog Scholarship Fund, we will turn a photo of your dog into a tile and give it a special place in this mosaic, which is going to go, if you're familiar with our space, it's going to go on the wall that is next to the staircase that goes down to our main training studio. We're just asking right now for a scholarship donation of $100 or more. All of our members will be in the mosaic. It's one thing we did in part for all of our wonderful members who've continued their membership with us through this closure, even though our our services, our in-person services were so limited. One reason we did it was as a thank you to all of them. So if you are one of those members that's been a continuing member despite reduced services, Thank you again. And if you'd like to learn more about the mosaic, just go to schoolforthedogs.com slash mosaic. If you'd like to learn more about the scholarship fund, which is what we do to help people with rescue dogs who have limited income be able to work with some of our trainers in private sessions and really get ideally some, some help that will help them keep their dogs in their homes. You can learn more at schoolforthedogs.com fund. And lastly, please make sure to check out my brand new, totally free, I hope very useful, masterclass. You can find it at anniegrossman.com masterclass. It talks about our new online course offerings, and it contains some pretty useful information and a whole bunch of freebies. So go make sure to check it out. It's about an hour long. I think you'll like it. You can find it at anniegrossman.com slash masterclass. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, telling your friends, and shopping in our online store. Learn more about School for the Dogs and sign up for lots of free training resources on our website, schoolforthedogs.com.